It's Friday the 14th of January 2022 and you're listening to episode 49 of Reds Unrestricted. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. I'm your host, David Comerford, and I'm joined, as I am every week, by Dan Club and Chloe Bloxham. So we're going to be reacting, first of all, today to Liverpool's goalless draw in the first leg of their League Cup semi-final against Arsenal. And we'll start, as ever, with the three-word match reviews. So, Chloe, I'll come to you first. Um, We'll get into what really went wrong for Liverpool in a bit more depth in a minute. But for now, let's just have your uh, initial review. My three-word review would be hard to watch. Um, it felt like absolute graft. It like I've, I felt like I lost so many brain cells watching that football game. <laughs> um, it was absolutely ridiculous. I don't think I've ever been as bored watching a Liverpool game in my life. Like I was stood there, and you were willing the ball to go in the back of the net, but it wasn't even like we were having the shots or the chances for the ball to even have a chance of hitting the back of the net. Um, yeah, it was. It, it felt like I was being tortured watching it at times. Um, honestly, it was so frustrating. And we've had a couple of frustrating games, and they just seem to get worse. Like, they seem to feel worse. And maybe that's just because it's fresh every time it happens in your mind. But, um, yeah, l- last night was, was really, really hard. I felt like I was doing work. Like, I felt like I wasn't being paid. And I was working my ass off watching a football team. And, like, <laughs> that's just not the case. Like, that's the team I support, the team I love. But it just felt like th- there was nothing you could have done. And it was it was awful. Is that is that the first goldless draw we've had all season? I, th- I think I, I think it was. I can't think yeah, of another one. Thing. So, yeah. Yeah, so it was sort of... You're right, Chloe. It was so uniquely painful um, to watch in a way. And... It just did feel like extra sterile. Um, obviously, the eleven against ten plays a part in that. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll get we'll get into it into it a bit more, as I said. But Dan, over to you now. Um, your three words, please. Yeah, I've gone for an opportunity missed because that's what it felt like. Obviously, going into the game, you think at home, you know, take advantage of that, get a decent lead, get a lead first first of all. Um, to take down there and, uh, and if possible try and kill the tie off and then when they get out to 10 men you think okay now we really could kill the tie off um, but obviously as we know that didn't materialise that way it was similar to what Chloe said I've seen us play worse and win games if I'm going to be honest I don't think it was too horrendous I do think there is a, a recency bias potentially involved in all of this I've seen people aren't happy on Twitter I'm fully aware and obviously we're going to go into it in detail but we had problems, we'll discuss them, but yeah, for me, it was definitely frustrating, but more of an opportunity miss than anything too catastrophic. I agree. I think, really, if you're an Arsenal fan and you watch that and Shaka does what, what Shaka does, really, you know, makes that challenge, you're down to 10 men. I think it was around the 25th minute of the game. You're sort of fearing the worst. You're thinking, God, we're going to have to go back to the Emirates next week and, you know, pull a real comeback out of our asses, essentially. Because, yeah. um, you know, playing it with 10 men for that long at Anfield. But really, um, it was far easier a ride than they would have expected from that point onwards. Um, 
and yeah, major opportunity missed. And I think maybe, you know, the end of the season, we could look back on that and think, you know, however many trophies we win, you know, you might think League Cup semi-final, you had, you're playing against 10 men for such a long period against a team you're better than at home in the first leg. Um, if we don't go on to win this competition and we don't win as many trophies as we want to, then you think, yeah, that was a key moment uh, for all the wrong reasons. In terms of my review, I had a few ideas. Um, and ironically, the first review is bereft of ideas because that's uh, that was <laughs> the story, really. I think yeah, uh, yeah. the amount of occasions where we were almost just frozen in the in the final third um, was was shocking, really, and with no sort of no ideas on the ball and no ideas off the ball either. I thought um, we'll get into that a bit more in a second. The other option I was considering went no minamino no. Um, <laughs> which was my kind of initial reaction, and then I also had not just Afcon as well, um, yeah. Which again, I'll, I'll touch on in a minute, but I think I'll go with bereft of ideas because that I think sums up really the state of the game more so than anything else. Um, Chloe, I want to come back to you now as we uh, go into a bit more depth. Clap face questions after the game yesterday, and he has in his press conference on Friday afternoon as well. Um, about Salah and Mane's absence and, you know, the significance of that. To what extent are you putting that performance down to AFCON? Because to my mind, it is a factor, but there are certainly other issues um, at play as well. Um, it's obviously a factor. You're always going to miss them. That's, you know, it's a stupid question to even ask. But as a journalist, I totally understand why they have to ask it. It's their job. Um, but, you know, I think for starters, why we're playing both James Milner and Henderson in this game's completely and utterly beyond me. As soon as they go down to 10 men, if it wasn't as obvious that you didn't need James Milner and Henderson on the pitch, I don't know what is as clear. Um, half-time, one of them should have been pulled off. We do the sub 60 minutes. That's at least 20 minutes too late. Um, so I think it's partly down to that. I think it's down to the fact that we were slow. And I know Klopp said there wasn't any space, but I certainly thought there were several counter-attacks that we could have had in which we just slowed the ball down. Um, we didn't have anyone to drive at them in that entire 60 minutes. Even when Curtis Jones came on, he wasn't driving. He was our spark, but he was our spark from the left-hand side of the pitch. Um, he, he wasn't driving like Alex, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain could do. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that was partly it. I also thought the tactics was completely and utterly beyond me. For the first 15 minutes, I thought we were sound. You know, I thought we were stretching the pitch. We were getting to the byline. You know, the balls, Trent and Robertson were getting the balls on a byline, having some good, uh, being in the correct area. But Trent Alexander-Arnold's put however many balls in the Annie Road. And, OK, the, the, the quality for the final ball is lost. But the positions were actually sound. And then all of a sudden, they go down to 10 men and there's completely and utterly no whiff in the game at all. I don't know what those fullbacks have been told, but no one's getting to the byline. No one's stretching this team. And with five at the back when you're facing that, they're happy as long as the ball is in front of them. They've got someone there who will close you down. They've got someone who's closing the space, making sure that you can't do these intricate passes. There's no one trying to stretch them, no one making them think. They've had Tavares, who got took off against Nottingham Forest for being absolutely woeful. And we, when he came on, that was a chance to attack him with Jota. 
Um, and there was like no one was getting in behind, no one was making their defenders think. Um, the midfield, the lack of creativity in that midfield was so hard to watch. It was like none of them would take a risk, none of them knew what to do. We were having shots from 30 yards out for no apparent reason. Um, and I also think what what I don't understand, like I can understand it, but my god, I'd find a system in which like it'd work. Why Jota's on the wing when he is so clinical and ruthless is beyond me. I don't care if you've got Roberto Firmino. This Jota has been in, in the form of his life. Why you're not playing him in the centre? Because I there was some good balls by Nico Williams when he came on and no one was on it. No one was taking the chance. No one was uh, putting themselves in that position where the ball had bounced. And I think Jotter in, in, in that central space could have done a lot more, I really do. I think the ball in the first half definitely was actually falling for us. For once, I thought a ball was going our way constantly and we just weren't taking advantage. So I think, yeah, AFCON takes a part of it, but there's no reason. I mean, we can also talk about squad depth because we just can't compete with Chelsea and, and Man City, especially not after that performance. Uh, I already knew that we didn't have the squad depth as those two, maybe even as much as Man United. Um, I knew we didn't have the squad depth like them, but my God, it, it highlighted it yesterday. So many players were just off it. Um, the lack of creativity was a bit worrying. Um, and a lot of people like look at Thiago and think, oh, but if Thiago was in that squad. But Thiago recycles balls. He's a very... like. He's, he reads again. He's so skillful. I don't think he's one to like constantly get you the goals, but he'll make the pass before the goal happens. He'll he'll do the build up, um, and there was absolutely none of that. It was it was quite hard on the attacking front to be honest. And I actually thought Saka had Robertson off every time that ball was put in behind. Um, so yeah, it was it was one of those games where. Yeah, you're missing two star players, but just because you miss two star players, your team shouldn't absolutely collapse. Because if City or Chelsea lose two of their star players, I still think they win that game. Well, there's a couple of key things to pick up on there. Um, really, I think there's team selection and there's the tactics, and you clearly thought both of them were were wrong yesterday. Um, from Liverpool's point of view, Dan, I want to come. Come to you on this now. Let's start with the uh, team selection and the uh, so-called Milderson partnership sure. in midfield. Um, what did you think of the decision to uh, play them again after they'd, you know, by by most accounts struggled against Chelsea not that long ago? Um, the decision to select them and do you think that you know the game justified uh, Klopp's call to to play both? Because I certainly don't. No, I think obviously <clears throat> with hindsight, um, the game didn't justify that decision. I actually, I was relatively indifferent to it from the outset. I think I, I think I said to our group chat that I'd have preferred to have seen Ox um, instead of Milner. But at the same time, you know, you can't really <clears throat> sort of plan for being against ten men for seventy minutes. What you can do though is react to that. And I don't think Klopp has reacted to that. One of the main criticisms of Jurgen Klopp, if there is one, has been his substitutions throughout his reign, really. Um, and I think last night was a bit of a case in point for that because 
pretty much as soon as the they go down to ten men and Xhaka goes off, Mikel Arteta brings on Rob Holding, I believe, to make them more secure defensively, which is a a perfectly viable, smart move. And pretty much instantly, you know, most people watching that game will go, okay, they're shutting up shop a little bit, rightfully so. What are Liverpool going to do? And obviously, we don't do anything at the time, which is fair enough because you can see how it pans out. But then you get to half time, and we haven't really capitalised on the man advantage yet. You know, Arsenal aren't going to be as much of a threat going forward. And we didn't do anything about it. So that is my biggest issue with pretty much the whole game, actually, to be honest. We can talk about sort of individuals, trends in particular being off the boil, and Minamino's miss was a shocker, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact we didn't really do anything to change the direction of travel in that match up until sort of the 70th minute was really odd, um, in my opinion. And Milner and Henderson in particular have their qualities, one of them being work rate and endeavour and passion, commitment, all of the above. Pretty much, Milner maybe back in the day, but and Henderson very occasionally, but pretty much neither of them have you know, something spectacular out of nothing, creating a wonderful goal with a wonderful through ball. It's not something they do on the regular. Um, so I was disappointed with both of the performances, but at the same time, I could see the merit in selecting them from the start. It was just the fact we didn't change them sort of midway through the game that really baffled me. Yeah, you're right insofar as the game pans out differently to how Klopp is is planning for it, really. So obviously, you know, against against ten men, it just becomes a case of Arsenal's backs to the wall. You got to break them down. Um, so he does deserve maybe to be cut a bit of slack from that point of view. But you're right. I think Milner was fortunate to last past half time. He didn't really contribute anything on the ball and not much off the ball either um, to compensate for that. Um, and uh, yeah, I think Jones or Ox needed to be on earlier. Um, if they weren't going to start the game, which I think at least one of them should have, then they should have been substituted on earlier. Because Jones in particular, um, I thought was quite good when he came on. Um, looked like he might be able to create something. I think he had our only shot on target in the match, which is is pretty damning as well. Um, but yeah, he was involved in one or two promising moments, I think. So let's talk about tactics a bit more then. Obviously, um, Chloe's spoken about that a bit earlier on and you know we can bring Chloe back in in a second but I want to get your take on it Dan and you know just I mean let's bring up a stat here um, that I saw on Twitter earlier one goal from open play in 263 minutes against 10 men this season that's mm. um, six six red cards I think have now been issued against Liverpool which is a lot um, but we don't seem to be able to make the most of, of those no. situations <clears> so why do you think that is? What do you think is going wrong um, when we're up against 10 men? Well, it's very similar to the age-old discussion that we've had many times on here. Pretty much whenever we come up against a side, you know, I'll pick some names, sort of West Brom when they were in the Premier League, uh, Burnley, you know, Brighton in previous incarnations and Fulham, who are going to sit deep. We've often had problems breaking those sides down and it often takes an early goal to be able to do so. And... Um, and I think that was evident again last night because as soon as Arsenal obviously go down to 10 men, they do bank up. 
credit to them. They get organised. They get back into position really quickly whenever they do lose the ball. I think Chloe's right in what she said earlier in terms of there were at least two counter-attacks that I think had we have been sharper, we could have potentially capitalised on and a misplaced touch or pass here and there um, slowed us down. And they, they are your opportunities when you're playing against a side that are looking to just shut up shop pretty much like Arsenal were. So for me, it just... And I actually think, I listened to Klopp's press conference earlier, I actually think he's right when people are sort of highlighting the Salah and Mane missing effect. I don't think it is a case of that because we played these types of games with Salah and Mane and, you know, their pace is their main threat. And if there's nowhere to run in behind, then pace is pretty much null and void. Um, so, yeah, I just think it, it, it comes back to Liverpool's issues, breaking sides down when they sit deep. You know, teams come and park the bus at Anfield. We historically aren't very good at dealing with that because the way we play needs vast open spaces. And there weren't many of them available last night, like I say, other than two, three occasions that I've mentioned. So, yeah, I think when you look at the players, the midfield, it all comes back to midfield because when you're playing against a side like that, you need that technician and sort of magician, if you like, um, to do something out of the ordinary and to thread that pass through a gap that no one else sees, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that wasn't on the field last night. You know, there's currently one at Villa Park that we were quite linked with for forever to come back. But that sort of player, you know, your Philly Coutinho's, your Thiago's got it. Maybe not as much as Coutinho, but he has got it. Um, and yeah, I just think this squad... You know, Harvey Elliott maybe in the future. Obviously, he's been injured for a long time now, but he's one player who creates something out of nothing, pick that pass that nobody else can even dream of. Um, but last night, that person just wasn't on the pitch. So, in terms of the, the sort of AFCON factor, I think you are right about there isn't the space for Salah and Mane. I do think, even in spite of that, we missed maybe their movements, really. Yeah, can I, like can I, I just say earlier. on that though, Dave? Like the Mane yeah. thing, you are right in what you say, and I know, I yeah, I know where you're going. But me included, everyone's been on Mane's back for a number of yeah, weeks. His right. forms fell off a cliff, and now all of a sudden, it's like, God, we miss Mane, and <laughs> we yeah. can't have it both ways. You know what I mean? You are dead right, and I'm not. Really, but I just wanted to make that point because what? Go on. Sorry to put in, but what I would say is though, if I was an Arsenal fan, and I can bet the majority of Arsenal fans, if they would have saw instead of Takumi Minamino on that pitch, Sadio Mane, they'd have been feared already in it. You can talk about people um, like Sadio Mane falling off a cliff, which I do agree his form has been, but you still see the movement there within Mane. You, he still gets the opportunities. He hasn't buried half of them, sure, but he still gets the opportunities. There is still fear in an opponent's eyes when they see Mane in front of them. Whether he's in form or not, he wasn't in form and he scores that goal against Chelsea. That's quite frankly unbelievable. It, the composure from him's sensational. So I don't just think it's the fact that, oh, someone's being crappier. Oh, let's, like, if he's not on that pitch right now, it doesn't matter. It does because it's also fear factor. Who would you rather come up against? Takumi Minamino, who has hardly had any minutes, probably not even got past 300 minutes so far this season. 
He's not gelled with the front three. He's not had a chance to even gel with the midfield. And then for, for the end of the game, he was kind of in the midfield. Um, or would you rather have Mane, who knows that his teammates around them inside out, who already installs fear in an opponent, in an opponent's uh, fan base? He's always, even if he's not sharp, he's always standing people up. Will he beat them? Not recently, he hasn't been beating everyone. But I still think he's the one that is the the movement's incredible. He's constantly getting in behind. Yeah, he might be offside, but I'd have been sound with it last night if he was making that Arsenal line drop back or giving one of those players a thought. And and to think, oh crap, do I stay? Do I go? Like the he, he causes errors in the fence just for how pacey he is, just because of his name. So I think not just is it the fact that you know he's not being playing well, it's his name. It, a lot of people look at Sadio Mane. Those those fans last night, Arsenal, if they were the seeing the fact that Sadio Mane was on that pitch, I think they'd have been much more scared. And you touch on what I think is a crucial point here. In terms of you talk about Minamino not having that link and that affinity with the players around him. How often yesterday did we see that sort of combination play between the midfielder on either side, the winger and the fullback, which has been really a crucial part of our like attacking patterns all season? We barely saw it. Um, and I think that was a big part of why we're not getting into good crossing positions um, for a lot of the game, as well as obviously the lack of space. Um, and I think. Had Mane and Salah being playing, you know, that's that's a different story. That understanding does exist. You know, Jota's barely played right wing for us and Minamino has obviously barely played full stop. Um, Chloe, I want to give you sort of the last word on, on the tactics, um, but Dan, feel free to come in after Chloe's answer if you've got another point you'd like to make. To my mind, you know, I've spoken a lot about the lack of movements and that's why I feel a bit sorry for, for Trent and Robertson because, you know, it's, they're in a difficult position, you know, they're the chief creative force in the team, but if they don't maybe have the run that they need, then it's very hard for them. But how much do you think their poor performances and probably Trent in particular, I'd say, um, played a part yesterday and how much do you think, you know, in the next few games, Trent is going to have to sort of, is he going to have to step up um, from the level he showed yesterday of Liverpool to kind of survive this period? Um, I think he'll definitely see a bounce back from Trent because he doesn't really stick on this low form. Even when he's not playing his best, he can find something and he can put a decent ball into the box. You know, that's always um, the the quality of Trent. I think Trent yesterday was just he was just too um, too much inside. That's what I think. No one even tried to hit the byline. I've got no idea what happened in that second half because we just didn't know what width was. We didn't know how to get to the byline. Um, and the the constant... To be fair to Trent, by the time he got the ball to cross it in, we'd passed it about 30 times around the box. Their defence didn't even have to move to like literally clear the ball. The ball was just hitting them. Um, so, yeah, I think Trent will come back. Uh, you've also got to remember that Trent was a person who tested COVID positive. Um, he's already tested positive before, so who knows if that had an effect. Um, but overall, I, I don't think... With how good Trent played, you can't play like that every game. I totally understand that. Um, and, you know, for, for all that has happened yesterday, I would not be surprised if we go and beat them 3-0 at their ground. I wouldn't. And the reason is, is because 
they're at home, they've got to be open, they can't sit back because it's second leg, someone's got to go through, someone's got to win, do you want to risk it on penalties? And also, you're at home in your own stadium, you sit flat, You sit 11 men behind the ball in the second leg of, of a semi-final and the crowd's bound to get on your back. So I think they'll have more space, um, which is inevitably what they need. We need space. We need the overlapping runs because it takes a player away from someone to whip a ball in. And I actually think we were doing quite well 15 minutes in. I, I thought, I, I actually liked for the first 15 minutes where Trent and Robbo were crossing the ball from. I liked the positioning. It was just that Trent kept hitting Annie Rhodes instead of like actually keeping it inside. What I will say is, um, on both of the fullbacks is I have not seen and I can never understand how a footballer can't kick a ball from a stationary position. It is one of the things that frustrates me most in the world is how good these these footballers are. And like you'll see a ball where a ball's coming in fast paced to them and they've somehow whipped the foot around it and it's an unreal cross. Yet from a corner, from a standstill position, you can't whip a ball in and beat first man. The 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 um, crosses yesterday was absolutely appalling. It was quite laughable how bad they were. And I've said this for weeks. If I want someone over a cross now, it's Tismichas. I think his crossing's unreal from um a standstill position. But yeah, um look, I think I don't I don't think Robertson's been unbelievable this season. Trent has been. Um but to do their role as well as they do it, they need the players in and around them making the movement so that they have the space. Uh, I don't think Henderson's movement was that good, which didn't help Trent as well. Um, he had Jota, who just got lost in the game um, on, on that right-hand side. He got some unread cards, and I think that was about it. Um, so, yeah, there was there's more to how good Trent and Robbo play with, like... They need the players around them to do well. They need the space. They need the runs so that they have the time and they're in the correct position to deliver a ball in. Um, so, it, I, it, you know, everyone had a knock-on effect of everyone because no one was at, the go- at, at, like, a good enough level. I think you bang on, um, really. And the point of Bob, no one gets to buy a line. You know, you think about it, I can't really recall any example of that. So that's, that's quite an important one. It is difficult um, you were also right about the set pieces, just to say, dreadful from Robertson all night. But it is difficult for the fullbacks, you know. Like I say, I do feel for them in a way. Um, I don't think it was easy for them to pick the lock uh, with the crosses yesterday. Um, but I do think with Trent, you know, he could have done things differently. Um, like you say, he was drifting inside too much. That seemed to be a pattern against Chelsea as well when they went down to 10 in August. Um in addition to that, I think there's moments where he sort of has the ball and you can sort of sense the atmosphere in, in the ground and everyone sounds like, well, do something with it then because he's kind of been holding on to it for about five seconds. Everyone's waiting to see what's going to happen. And then he tries like a really audacious pass. It's never really going to work. Um, so I think the pass selection was a bit off um, from him. Again, no, maybe the movement isn't there. So just mitigating circumstances. But I think what I will say is, I reckon Necho Williams probably contributed more, albeit in maybe a slightly more frantic game state um, than Trent did. And Williams obviously only played, I think it was the final 15 minutes. So that's probably pretty damning from Trent's point of view. And it's hard to pick out a game when he's made less of an impact in the final third the whole season, really. Um, you mentioned the second leg. We'll come on to that in a minute. I just want to 
touch on Minamino first of all, because obviously we could be sitting here talking about a one-goal win if he uh, scores that glorious chance. Um, a one-nil win. I mean, even I mean, when Shaka did get sent off, if if someone had said Taylor could have been one-nil, you'd be like, oh well, still a bit of a missed opportunity, like in in these circumstances. But obviously, you know, you'd be going into the second leg with with an advantage, something to to protect it, if you like. Um, and when the ball sort of falls to him, it's this moment where it's like, if he scores, that's the second you know late goal he scored in consecutive League Cup rounds. This is kind of his opportunity. Um, and it's another big moment in his career. But now it feels like it's a big moment for all the wrong reasons, because it's a terrible miss, in my opinion. Maybe you two will make excuses for him in terms of the ball bouncing or whatever. Um, but my mate said something interesting. And it comes back to the point uh, you alluded to, Chloe, um, earlier on about depth. So we were talking after the game in the group chat and he said, Minamino looks like a 7 million uh, squad player in an era where you spend 40 million on them, essentially. Um, So do you think, uh, I'll come to you first, Dan, because we've not heard from you in a bit. do you think that's a fair assessment? Um, because obviously it is just this knife edge moment of Minamino's the hero or Minamino's kind of the villain. Um, and he's, he's turned out to be uh, the villain after last night. So what do you reckon uh, about that take? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, and, and it's probably, you know, it's probably bang on the money, if we're going to be honest. Um, as for, I agree with you in terms of it, it is a pretty straightforward finish, certainly for a professional footballer. Um, if I miss that at goals, then I think that would be pretty much par for the course. But for him to miss that, you know, professional footballer at that moment as well, given everything that had gone before, it was a it was a big one. Um, and it was a real. When I said opportunity missed earlier about the game more generally and, and Liverpool, it obviously was. And I actually spoke about it yesterday in terms of a couple of articles I did about Minamino. That was a huge opportunity for him in terms of his career at Anfield. Um, and I know we spoke glowingly about him the other week after Leicester, and I know Chloe's a big fan. And he has had his moments. Um, they've just been all too fleeting, haven't they? And this sort of four, six-week period without Salah and Mane, you know, if I was in Minamino's shoes, you know, perhaps in different context, I'd be looking at that going, OK, two of the main stars were away. Let's have it. This is my chance. Let's really grab it and kick on. And Origi might have been thinking the same, even though his situation is slightly different and obviously he's currently injured. Minamino's sort of first audition, first outing of this period, I know he came on briefly in the FA Cup, has ended up with... I thought he was actually okay for periods. I think he ran... um, He produced a really good run from from our half at one point and had that shot as well, which just went wide, but... Generally speaking, he's probably missed the boat for this 90 minutes. Um, and there's a lot of talk, you know, we use Twitter as sort of a guide, um, rightly or wrongly, a lot of the time. Um, and pretty much immediately the aftermath of last night's game is people looking at the likes of City and Chelsea's squad and saying their strength in depth, the quality they'd bring into this situation is far and away better than ours. And that points directly at the likes of Minamino. Um, and last night might have just been more proof that he might not end up being good enough for this Liverpool side and where we want to be. Um, I think he's a good player, 
I'm just becoming less and less convinced. And that sounds like reactionary from last night. It's not really because, like I alluded to earlier, his lone move at Southampton wasn't even particularly outstanding last year. Um, and I think for a long time we gave him the benefit of the doubt. You know, new country, middle of a pandemic, so on and so forth. And that is still the case in many ways, but there's only so long you can do that, in my opinion. It feels, doesn't it, like every few weeks we're talking about Minamino and then one time it'll be, oh, this is a really promising patch, you know, he's done something really good. And then the next time it'll be, yeah, he just isn't quite isn't quite cutting it. Um, I think you're bang on about the opportunity. And in addition to what you were saying about AFCON, got to consider as well that Origi was injured last night and there's a possibility that Origi would have played ahead of Minamino had, had he been fit. And there's a possibility that he will now play ahead of him. Um, yeah, just like on that, Dave, just on that, right, so just so more briefly about our sort of squad death and the AFCON situation, one of the things that's sort of come to me, and it's never really come to me in, in such a way before during this podcast, was so I think three of our four sort of main backup attacking options would all like to play centrally, because obviously Chloe mentioned Jota from the right earlier, and it's not a position that I really recall Jota ever playing from. Obviously, he sort of has yeah, to do barely. it at the moment. Yeah, and Jota, since he's come to Liverpool, has operated centrally and become brilliant because Chloe said he'd rather see him centrally. And, and I agree with that, but I'd certainly rather see Bobby centrally. <laughs> I wouldn't dream of seeing him on the wing, really. I think I've seen him do it once from the left and it was, again, like watching me from the left. Um, and I think Origi, <laughs> Origi the same, potentially. Minamino is probably the only one sort of comfortable out on where he is at the minute, you know, he's in he's in his favoured left wing position, probably. Jota's at a position on the right. It's a really tricky one to master because we've got three out of four options who would all want to play in the middle. Yeah, you're right. And um, Origi as well, obviously. Um, you know, he's having to be sort of shifted out to the wing. People have said, you know, he looks better through the middle. And I think if Liverpool are sort of in the mindset of Sadio Mane's best years are behind them, we need to buy another, we need to spend another 40 million on, on a new player, then it does need to be someone who is kind of a, a natural winger. Maybe can play inside because you like that versatility, but you know, you want them to be to have that sort of natural wing play. I think you're right about that. Um, and I also think it's worth saying, and you alluded to it, Dan, Minamino's performance was actually okay. I thought he was probably the most lively, certainly of the of the front three involved in the game more than either of them. I mean, Jossie was barely involved in the game, you know, like we've said. Um, Chloe, I want to come to you on this. Um, I reckon if that falls to me, you know, I'm a really poor footballer, so I reckon I'm putting that against the bar. <laughs> but that's still closer than what Minamino managed. So do you reckon you would have scored? Um, yeah, it's that simple. I, th- I feel sorry for Minamino because, I mean, fair play to him because he was actually fit. We all talk about Divock Origi. Where was Divock Origi when we need them? Injured. Injured. There was, like, I'd have loved to have said, oh, Divock Origi's playing, but he got injured. I don't know how he's gotten injured again, but he's gotten injured. And this is the problem. If you're... So everyone's looking at Takumi Minamino and saying he's not built for the Premier League and this type of stuff. But everyone hails the Vokarigi, and rightly so. I think he's a Liverpool legend, and I absolutely adore the man. But you can't even trust him because he he gets injured all the time. I, I don't know where he's got this injury from. Um, and it kind of... 
I would have been sound. See, I, I totally understand what you mean by not putting for me now out wide, Gary. But I'd have happily seen Ox on the right wing. I don't know why why that wasn't an option in anyone's mind. Could have had Ox on the right wing, Jota up top. And then, obviously, if they're going to use fit, you can have them on the left or, or whatever to keep me in the there. But it's it's a horrific miss. There's there's no getting around it. Um, shock and miss by him. But once again, he's played less than like 300 minutes this season. He's hardly ever been in that position before. The ball, I didn't even expo- expect the ball to bounce there. You've got to react once it does for obvious reasons. But like, I think out of my my mouth, because I was like, oh, the cross isn't great. Oh, my God, Ramsdale's messed up. Oh, my God. And then he misses. He's got the entire crowd in that moment realising, oh, my word, what an opportunity. And I guess in his mind, it can't be that good, especially when he he hardly gets a chance playing. Um, And also his confidence. There's at times where Jürgen Klopp's played every other player who you probably wouldn't want to play before him. I I wonder what that does for his confidence as well. But yeah, there's there's no excuse for the miss. The miss it's it's appalling. Um, saying that though, I mean, if you would have said, oh, Xhaka got sent off in the 24th minute, they spent over 70 minutes with 10 players. You're only one one nil. I'd be wondering what the hell happened. Um, because I don't think a one nil was a one nil is an advantage, sure, but I don't think it was good enough for someone being on ten men for seventy minutes. That game should have been done. The entire tie should have been done and dusted. If someone's down for ten minutes in a semi, if someone's down for ten men for seventy something minutes in a semi final first leg, the tie should be over. And especially with the midfield that they had. I was nearly laughing at their midfield when I saw it before kickoff. Never mind when Xhaka then got sent off, and yet we still couldn't deal with with the 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 fact that they sat deep and they were able to frustrate us. And fair play to them, uh, they could have gone on to win it with that Saka chance if Ali doesn't make an unreal save. Um, but back to Taki, I, I don't know what to say. I don't want to make excuses for them because I'm not making excuses for for the the miss certainly. But I definitely think he was one of the most lively. I think he was one of our better players on the pitch. He was the best out of the front three for me. He was at least constantly on the ball. Um, and, you know, it, when someone we were looking at someone to drive, he did have a couple of situations where he did drive at someone. Um, so, yeah, it, it's one of those, like... How many chances does he need? But at the same time, are the chances that he's getting actually opportunities? Because I don't think playing a game here or there throughout the season is a proper opportunity when you've not played with the people around you, when you've got absolutely no rhythm in your legs, when a chance that falls to you seems glorious. You've probably never had... You've had maybe one of those chances, and that was against Leicester. But aside from that, you've not really been in that situation. It's like, I don't want to question it to Virgil van Dijk but it's all about get once someone comes back from an injury it's all about oh you need to get used to the situations within a football game it's all fine running around on a pitch practicing things kicking the ball about but it's getting used to the situations on a pitch on what could happen because no game's the same and I think that is a problem for Takumi Minamino when he literally hardly ever plays he's hardly ever in these positions, to settle his nerves, to have a clear mind when that ball comes to him, to not snatch at it because he knows that he could be a hero here. So uh, it, it's one of those of 
yeah, he's playing below par, but is he getting enough opportunities and enough mi- uh, minutes on under his belt where he should be performing at a really decent level when he doesn't have any rhythm and doesn't have any cohesion with the players around him? I think they're all valid points that you've made there. I mean, the most important thing, I think, really, is that Minamino is probably going to be hurting now, like you talk about. It's such a rare opportunity for him, and, you know, it was clearly a, a woefulness. And, you know, you can imagine, you know, when he woke up this morning, it's kind of the first thing he thinks about, and he gets like that, that sinking feeling, really. And, yeah, it, it could be, a, you know, like I said, a, a key moment in the poor career, but maybe for the wrong reasons unfortunately Chloe you talked about still fancying our chances for the second leg and I think you know it is important to stress that it's nil-nil like we we didn't lose um we're in an okay position we're basically going for a one-leg shootout at the Emirates we are better than Arsenal um even with the absentees I think um although they could have players back next week um Dan I'll come to you and I'll hear from you in a second, Chloe, and maybe a bit more depth about next week. Who are you making the favourites? Are you still uh, feeling confident? Yeah, I am. Yeah, because like you like you alluded to there, we are better than Arsenal. Um, our record down there in London generally isn't fantastic this season, but our record at the Emirates isn't uh, brilliant either. Um, we normally absolutely mull them at our place, but obviously that hasn't happened this time, which would have been nice. Um so yeah, I, I, listen. Of course, I'm confident. Um, I think this side, because this is a different side at the minute. Obviously, without Salah and Mane and the influence of Cater, um, this side will just be learning on the job potentially as it goes along. And you know, hopefully, last night was as bad as it's gonna be. Um, and from that point on, we can only improve over the next few weeks. So, you know, another chance on Sunday with a game we're gonna talk about in a minute. To uh, to play together and maybe Minamino to get a bit more confidence, more minutes, etc. Um, but yeah, I, I fancy us to beat Arsenal, even though it's down there. Um, the one leg shootout, the Klopp wanted anyway. He's now got so yeah. Listen, it's semi final, a chance to get to Wembley, etc. So absolutely no reason not to fancy our chances. Still, you've almost got to have that mentality, haven't you, in the squad and sort of say, you know what, that was really poor. Like let's not pretend it wasn't and we did miss an opportunity there but it doesn't matter anymore you know it's nil nil that leg is essentially irrelevant now in many ways you obviously you learn your lessons from it but at the same time it's like it's all about that second leg now and you know I think it's going to be difficult personally you know this is a Champions League chasing team they look as good this season as they have at any point really um, since Wenger was sacked I think um, and I think it's it's close, you know, in terms of who's the favourite in my mind. Um, and maybe they've got, you know, a slight psychological advantage after yesterday. But like I said, from our point of view, we just got to put it out of our mind and know that we're good enough to go there and win. We haven't won there since um, 2016, which really is, is quite positive in the gap that's existed between the two teams over the last few years. Oh, sorry, we haven't won there in front of fans. Obviously, we won there last season uh, behind closed doors comfortably. But um, yeah, I'd hope that we can we can go there and you know ultimately we don't even have to necessarily win the game. Obviously, we can we can do it in um in extra time or or on penalties. So you still kind of we still got a very good chance of of getting to the final. It just feels like you know like we talked about before, 
that uh, it could have been done and dusted. And maybe if you're being extra critical, you're saying if that's City or Chelsea in the position we were in, they've already got one or both feet in the final, essentially. Um, we're going to move on to Brentford in a second, but just a last word on, on Arsenal and the game next week from you, Chloe, and what you're kind of expecting. Well, I'm hoping for a more open game um, because this is the thing. Taking away goals out of football is absolutely killing us. Um, and like, I'm so annoyed that it's not in, in your European competitions um, because like any away team in the first leg can just sit there and soak up every ounce of pressure. And it's really boring. Because if you know that an away goal counts for something and you've got to go for it and you know you can sneak a goal here or there and it technically counts as two, it's just more exciting. A team's more open. They're going to take the one risk if they get it and that one risk can end up in a counter-attack for, for the opposition. And now it's it's very much born in the first leg because unless you are at the, the top like Liverpool, you know, Chelsea, City... And you know that attacking is pretty much our only style of football here. Um, you, you know that a lot of the teams you're going to come up against are technically on paper inferior than yet, and they're going to try and sit here and, and take uh, a draw out the game and, and get the home advantage in the second leg. And um, yeah, it, it's one of those where I can totally see us doing it um, because there'd be nothing more Liverpool than to go, you know, opposition go down. To 10 men for 70 minutes and us not get a goal yet they've got a full strength team and us beat three us beat them three nil so um total faith in them hoping for a more open game hoping that there's pressure on arsenal after at home to actually play you know some really decent football and be on the front foot and if they are on the front foot that means space and hopefully liverpool are a bit more creative and clinical um but yeah you've got to be positive um because it's still in the balance and it's your football team. Uh, no point in being negative if you're one game away from, you know, Wembley in a final. So uh, you got to back the lads and, and hope that, you know, they actually come out with the win, which hopefully they will. The away goals point, we know, we've not mentioned that and you're right. If that rule still existed, then, you know, the result feels a lot better in a way because, you know, you don't have to worry about, about that. You've come away with a clean sheet at home and you know that you can go there and a, a goal for you is extra like powerful if you like um so let's move on to to Brentford and I think it'd be interesting to see if when we come to the lineups you two are sort of thinking go for the same front three get get sort of more familiarity between them and then by the time we get to the Arsenal game we do put on a better performance like you know you're both hoping for um but let's start by talking about uh, the opposition more generally. Obviously, we're at the stage of the season now where we faced um, these teams before. Um, so we know kind of a bit more what to expect, especially with a, a promoted side like Brentford. So, Dan, I'll come to you. What have you made of Brentford and how do you think we can avoid getting sucked into the kind of pattern that we saw in that game in September? Now, it was, I think, Bill at the time, like the game of the season and um, Liverpool sort of got kind of bullied really in a defensive sense yes we did um and we were getting you know embroiled in too many of them battles um certainly on that day and we've certainly been involved in too many thrillers i think i've said it pretty much every week on this podcast now 
it, it seems like all the time, you know, neutrals are billing our games as the game of the season. The Chelsea game the other week was one. The Tottenham game is just constantly getting involved in, in too many end-to-end football matches. And the Benford one was almost the first this season. Um, and it was a tough watch, I think. Credit to them. They played to their strengths in terms of they were very direct, very physical. And we just, I don't know if we didn't expect it. We certainly didn't cope. And um, even, you know, people you'd expect to cope with, like your Van Dykes um, and your Matip, seem to struggle. Um, they doubled up on Trent really well, I thought, at the back post. That, that brought about at least one of their goals. Um, and yeah, I, I, I hope we've learned our lessons. Uh, if I'm being honest, um, pretty much plain and simple as that. Um, we should be able to impart our own style of play, being at home and being the better side. We should be able to dominate possession. But there's going to be moments whereby they have the ball, obviously. And that's where we just need to be better equipped to deal with what we couldn't deal with last time. And um, I think sim- I, we'll come to team news in a minute. And one of my team selections would sort of be a nod towards how I think we could deal with it better. Um but in terms of the Trent situation, I think I remember rightly, Henderson probably did play the game and was almost, you know, criticised for not getting back and helping Trent. One of the numerous times that's happened this season. Um, that's something he'll have to do better, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, I'd probably play him on the right-hand side of the midfield for that reason. Um, but yeah, like I say, I just think we know what to expect a little bit more now from them, because obviously... Newly promoted at the time, you know, offering different things that not a lot of Premier League sides do in terms of, like I say, getting the ball forward very quickly um, and liking the ball in the air for a long period as well. Um, So, yeah, like I say, I just think, you know, we've got to put our stamp on this game and and dictate play to them because at times, last, last time out against these, it just became far too frantic far too end-to-end and essentially like a basketball game. So we need to exert some control if possible. Yeah, you're right. And um, playing the game on our terms is is a huge thing, really. And it, it almost was played on their terms in the reverse fixture. And I think part of that was kind of this, their stadium, to be fair, is seems like really like tightly packed and almost claustrophobic in terms of just where, where it's sort of situated, really. And kind of the kickoff time early in the season, you know, caliber of opposition, all that sort of thing, really made the game, you know, the atmosphere a bit of a cauldron. And and I think that kind of played a part in it becoming almost a, a bit of a, you know, really physical affair like it was. And obviously they did overpower us on a few occasions. I know um, there was an article the Athletic uh, released over Christmas, and they basically profiled each sort of team style of play. Um, and Brentford were in the. Uh, the same sort of category as, as Burnley and that they were sort of near the top of that category in terms of, you know, they're maybe a little bit more advanced, I suppose you could say, in terms of their style, like it's not like pure pragmatism, um, like they're kind of not entirely old-fashioned. Um, but is that sort of the impression that you've got of them, Chloe? Do you think they are kind of, uh, is that the kind of test you're expecting in terms of facing a team, which is basically kind of in the bunker and just wants to kind of um, engage you in a bit of a, you know, a tussle, really. What I will say is I actually really like Brentford. Uh, they were one of the teams I wanted to come up. I wanted them to come up beforehand. And I think 
was it Fulham who beat them in the um the final? I I really like Brentford. Um, I I I I don't know why, but um, it seems kind of like a love story in a sense that the fact that after years they've they, they finally back up. I like the manager a lot. Um, I like the stadium. Uh, I like some of the players that play for them. Um, so overall, I just think they've got a really nice philosophy going there, and um, they are a danger to any team when you know they're on it. Saying that, they did just get absolutely battered by Southampton, um, and if Southampton are beating them, then Liverpool have to beat them, especially at home. Um, but yeah, they're a decent side. Uh, got some really good players, and they can, you know, put a test at you. They can challenge you. Uh, they'll make it, you know, this kind of battle physical but a lot of teams do that against us um and they succeeded so why would they change absolutely anything i think the the problem with uh, we've already mentioned it before was the inability to react to a situation we spoke about it earlier with the the you know the changes which should have been made at half time i think it was the exact same thing at, at brentford but we just did not react to how they were playing we had so many chances so many times where they warned us and then they finally um, obviously broke us down, got the goals. Um, and it was just happening time and time again. And no one adapted to any of the situations around it. They were a constant threat. You know, Tony battered. I mean, Van Dyke got battered that game, um, which not many people can say. Uh, so, yeah, I, I like them. They can cause a threat. But Liverpool at Anfield should not be getting beat um, that simple. And if they do, then we've got a serious problem, um, more than more than one than we had last time. But then who's to say that the league's not gone anyway? It's, it's one of them where you want to win, would it have an impact on the league if you lost? Probably not at this point. Um, but you still should be beating these teams. You should be beating pretty much any team at home. Uh, obviously, your cities and Chelsea's and that are the big games. Even Arsenal, for that matter, is, is a massive game. But with the crowd um, to feed off and everything, you should be, uh, you shouldn't be dropping points at home. We've already done it to Brighton, which is a reoccurring one because of the fashion that that happened in, um, and too many draws cost us the league several seasons ago. Um, so yeah, we we can't have too many of them. But Bright, I think Brentford will, will actually be a really really tough opponent. I do too. And what I would say on the league is that uh, obviously it's City v v Chelsea. Um, tomorrow, I think I'm right in saying. Um, so there's a possibility. You look at games where City might finally um, sort of stutter a bit. This could be it. Obviously, they're at home, but City, the Etihad isn't really as much of a fortress, I don't think, as as sort of Anfield would be. So maybe if Chelsea can get a result there, and and then we take our opportunity, then maybe you're thinking, you know, you keep a glimmer of hope alive. Obviously, still has a chance to play City as well, and. You know, make a big uh, points gain there. So, from that point of view, I think it could be um, a fairly important weekend in terms of just, as like I say, keeping those hopes alive. But um, let's uh, talk about lineups then, as we move into like the final few minutes of the podcast here. Dan, you talked before about how one of your selections was kind of, I think you said aimed towards learning the lessons um, from that reverse fixture. Um, what centre-back partnership have you gone with? Because I thought, you know, Chloe mentioned Van Dijk getting bullied. I thought more so massive, got absolutely destroyed mm-hmm. by uh, Ivan Tony in that game. So would you be tempted at all by uh, Canate in this one? 
Yeah, uh, nail on the head, quite frankly. Dave, um, listen, I love Joel Matip. Love him to pieces. I think he's been outstanding. I obviously mentioned on the mid-season player ratings, I think he's been our best centre-back this season. Um, but I've gone with Canate for this one, for Matip. Um, for, for all the reasons we mentioned, obviously the aggressive nature. This isn't to say Matip can't deal with this. He's dealt with you know big centre-forwards and powerful, aggressive centre-forwards before. Of course he has. I just think Canate is better equipped to do so. Um, I think Van Dijk is our leader from the back. I think he's the one who organises. So I wouldn't be dropping him ever, probably. Um, so, yeah, I've gone with Canate alongside Van Dijk. For, for, like I say, for all the reasons we've all spoken about, um, I just think he best deals with the way Brentford are probably going to approach the game or at least try to approach the game. Because, like I said earlier, I think we should impart our ways on the game before they're even allowed to get a foothold in it, quite frankly. Um, just to run you through the rest of the side, um, I've got Allison, Trent, Canate, Van Dijk, Robertson. I've gone Fabinho at the base, obviously. I've gone Henderson from the right-hand side of it. Um, and Curtis Jones from the left. I think he had a decent game against these, scored that good goal. Um, and I just think, like we alluded to earlier again, the midfield needs that attacking impetus. Um, and they've actually gone Oxley chamberlain from the right-hand side of a three up front. Um, just because we, we almost need to stumble across something as we are at the moment. Um, I don't think Kate Gordon's ready to start a Premier League game. He'd be the natural fit, probably, at the moment. Um, and then I've gone Firmino centrally and Jota from the left. Because if Jota has played anywhere else other than centrally in his career, it is from the left. So it's a bit getting players in positions they're comfortable with and it's a bit that's probably as strong as we can possibly be at the moment I certainly agree on God and I thought the the shouts for him to play were a bit, little bit bizarre to be honest just off the back of it you know he's probably man of the match against Shrewsbury but you know yeah he's a talent but he's this is a different level in my opinion yeah and you know I just looked then his birthday's only in October like he's not even been 17 that long like you know you just gotta you know, show a bit more patience than that I think um my lineup um would be a bit different. I'd pro I'd probably keep the faith with Matip. I think, you know, people maybe have the impression that he can be bullied and that game against Brentford didn't help. But I think when he's faced uh, Lukaku, you know, um in the uh, in the game in August, for example, I thought he did quite well there. So I'd probably have the confidence in him and I think can I say Obviously, made the error against Shrewsbury, which was an ideal. Um, so you know there is a trade-off to be had there. I think Matip's the better defender um, overall, so I'd probably keep the faith with him. Um, Midfield-wise, I think I'd probably be more inclined to. It's difficult because Ox is best on the right-hand side, and I'd like to play Henderson again. But I'd probably be more inclined to play Ox in midfield if I was going to use him because I haven't really liked them on the wing when we've seen them there. Um, maybe Jones if he is going to play goes on the left wing um, over Minamino. But, yeah, I'd probably go for Fabinho, Henderson, Jones, and then the same front three, just because I don't think Origi's going to be fit. And like I said earlier, I think there's maybe some merit to giving those two an extra 90 minutes together. Um, and almost if, you, if they produce a better performance, maybe it's just worth sticking with and that understanding might start to develop and it could be useful in that second leg and against Palace. But I don't know if it's really going to make that much of a difference in a short space of time. It's just kind of an idea, I suppose. Um, so, Chloe, 
what have you gone for? Um, what, what I would like to say is that I called Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain on the right literally earlier in the podcast, so I'd like to take all credit for that. You did, Chloe, uh, you did. I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to say I, I didn't steal it off you. I did write it down and did smile when you <laughs> said fine. it. <laughs> no, I. Um, it's exactly what I'd do. I'd play Matip because I think Matip was head and shoulders above any player on that pitch uh, against Arsenal. And I'd feel awful if I then took it off him. Um, because generally he's been better than Virgil van Dijk for me. Um, so... I think he could bounce back against Brentford Accord. I think, yeah, he's been bullied in that, but, you know, like David said, uh, he absolutely parted Romelu Lukaku, who was being overhyped. And, and like, you know, the everyone said he was going to have a field day against our two centre-halves and the weren't. I think the main problem of that game against Brentford was no one adapted to the situation. There was no plan B to sort it out. And when... Everyone else in the entire pitch was literally having a bit of a mare um, and couldn't keep up and couldn't deal with it. It obviously left a lot of uh, people isolated. Um, and Matip didn't have a great game. I don't think Virgil did. Trent probably didn't. Um, but yeah, I think for me, Alisson in goal, uh, Matip, Virgil at the back. I'd say Robertson, but if Tismikas was playing, I would not be bothered at all. I'd quite like to see him. Um, Trent, obviously... Midfield three would be Curtis Jones, um, Fabinho and Henderson. Uh, then I'd want Ox on the right wing. Um, I'd like Jota up top, but I'm not finding a way to fit him in because I don't know if I want to play Takumi Minamino off the left. So I'll go Firmino centre and Jota left. Nice. So um, nice bit of variation in those sides. And I think, you know, Simakas, it's worth saying as well. Um could very well end up playing on Sunday um, rather than Roberts and maybe playing the three games within the space of a week. It's probably natural to give uh, Simicast one of them. Um, so let's get some score predictions then. Uh, I'll go first. I think it feels like it's it's brewing a little bit, this one. Like Sunday, 2pm kickoff. It's got that kind of uh, feeling about it. Um, the way, obviously, the reverse game went you're thinking that we're probably going to be up against a low block again. Is it going to be the kind of similar part of the game? Are we going to be able to to learn those lessons that you talked about? You'd hope we can, uh, but I think we've maybe been guilty of making the same kind of mistakes on occasions this season. Um, so I think it's going to be it's going to be tight. I think we've got to really make sure, obviously it's much easier said than done, but we've got to resist this January narrative. I think everyone's sort of fearing that it's going to be a really grim month um for us you know in the, with the absences that we have and with our history in, in january really um and it would be really satisfying to see us just dig in and get these get through to the league cup final and um just find a way to win you know it doesn't have to be an amazing performance i think we can expect too much but just find a way to you know grind an ugly victory out this weekend and against palace next weekend um and, you know, that would be extremely satisfying if we could do that. But, you know, as I say, the narrative feels like it's written. I'm going to go for a tight victory for us. I'm going to say 2-1. Um, so, Dan, what, what are you saying? Yeah, there definitely is a narrative building at the moment. Um, and we could do with, you know, being on the right-hand side of that, being on the positive element, because anything other than victory here, um, and I am dreading Monday. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go with, 2-0 Liverpool. I think Chloe touched on it earlier. Brentford 
are struggling a little bit form wise. Um, whereas at the in the reverse fixture, they were sort of flying crest of a wave, recently promoted, etc. Um, that isn't quite the case anymore. So yeah, listen, we need to put some things to bed this weekend. Um, and I'm backing us to do it. So yeah, two 0 for me. And one thing I haven't mentioned, which I've been meaning to mention, I keep forgetting, is um, the Brent- Brentford are obviously playing with the second goalkeeper at the moment, and he seems like he's a bit of a liability. So hopefully, yeah. um, we can uh, we can they signed on uh, that. they signed Jonas Lossel as well, formerly of Huddersfield, formerly of Everton. Um, I'm not sure yeah. if he might take over the gloves, but whichever one it is, don't want to say they're not very good because they're probably have a worldy. But yeah. <laughs> they're probably not very good. Let's just say that. Yeah, there's a possibility that change could be made. And if you watch the highlights of that Southampton Brentford game, but I think Fernandez was um, possibly culpable for a couple of the goals that uh, Southampton scored. Um, Lozel, I think, I remember Salah missed a, had a penalty saved, I think, against Huddersfield a few years back. Yeah, it was him. If that was, yeah, that was him. We yeah, saved was, that. Yeah. So I'm sure, like, like you say, Dan, whichever goalkeeper it is, will produce a uh, unreal 13 save performance or something like that but yeah Chloe what about you obviously um we spoke before we uh we started recording about the atmosphere are you concerned that it's going to be a bit of a a tepid one on Sunday at, at two o'clock and that could kind of transfer onto the players I hope it doesn't but the atmosphere of a semi-final if the crowd can't even get up for that. I am quite concerned for the 2pm kickoff when everyone feels like the league's already gone. Because um, the atmosphere was, it wasn't great. Um, and it sounds to call the players out and say that they're not good. And it's also sounds to call other fans up when we don't, you know, it, it just didn't feel like a semi-final. I was expecting it to feel like um, a European Cup semi-final. Like the atmosphere I was expecting. I was expecting when we played Roma or when um, obviously we played City in the European Cup. That was the type of atmosphere I was expecting because it's massive. Like everyone thinks that maybe the, the league's gone. You've got to win something, at least bring something home. A trophy is a trophy. Um, so yeah, kind of disappointed in, in the atmosphere. And I have been for a little bit now, actually. It's Shrewsbury, I can kind of understand because there was absolutely loads of kids going. Uh, and it was boss to see, you know, kids go to the first game. Um, so yeah, hopefully the the crowd's actually up for it. Um, the the shouting of shoot, if we could all happily bench that, I'd be truthfully so made up. Thank you, um, because it's honestly getting boring. Uh, and yeah, I think, I my my concern is Brentford at Liverpool. They'll want it more than you know. I think they'll be right up for it. I really do. I think not just. It's one of those cliches where uh, when they've lost, it can go for them and it can go against them. If they're you know, on a bad run of form, it can really go against you. But maybe you need to play Liverpool, um, who are obviously missing some star players. Maybe you need to be on Anfield for the first time in however many years uh, and you know, have the, the kind of stadium and the stature of Liverpool Football Club and what we've won. Uh, maybe that all fuels them even more. So, um, I think they'll score. Um, I don't want them to, but I think they will. I was going to go with 2-1, but uh, I'm going to convince myself and, and go with a 3-0. <laughs> Not what I think, but I'll go with it. Interesting strategy there. I think they'll score, but I'll go for 3-0. Um, I, I admire the optimism. Positivity. Um, 
Uh, I think you're right about the fans, though, for sure. Like, like, like I just said, um, with the the fact that it's bound to be a difficult stretch for us, and we're already in the midst of that. I think the crowd really has a responsibility to play in terms of like lifting the players, and if that can make the difference in a game that I think will, like I said, be close, then obviously that's us doing our job as fans. But yeah, that is going to wrap us up for this week. Um, we'll come to Dan and Chloe for final thoughts. So first of all, Chloe. Well, what I was going to say on that was literally the atmosphere. Usually, like, the atmosphere is already, you know, we feed off them and yet the players didn't give us much and they feed off us. But usually when Liverpool are, like, back against the walls, they need something. Usually the crowd's even more hostile. And, like, when we seriously need a goal and we know we need a goal, um, it like usually it's it's an extremely good atmosphere, maybe even better than when like you beaten Man City two three nil, um. So like it was kind of disappointing at the fact that when the players needed us, maybe half of us wasn't there. There was some mad mad shouts for songs going about. I've got no idea why a lot of us like why can we not just sing about the team <laughs> if there's a really good reason for us to sing about other situations yes all for it like when we sung after Tories after Leicester after what he was singing brilliant it was hostile it meant something but like Arsenal fans that that entire you know part of London all voted for Jeremy Corbyn um like sometimes just chant on the lads, just get behind them. Just, you know, what happened to poor Scouser Tommy? You know, off to the match I go. Like, these songs that we've been built on with the most authentic club um, for atmosphere and flags, you don't see the flags that are handmade and, and you don't see the flags that you see on the cop anywhere else, especially not in the Premier League. A lot of them are just checking flags or a Chelsea badge or a City badge. Like, that, that's all they are. Ours has meaning. Ours has, like, history and story behind it. Um, and it, it just feels like the atmosphere maybe isn't what it's been like for, for so many, like, several years ago. Um, and I'd really like that hostile atmosphere back that we had when we literally went on an unbeaten streak. And it felt like every time you came to Anfield, you were facing a cacophony of noise. You were absolutely trapped in this... Um, like suffocating noise and absolute intensity of the Reds um, and I'd really like to get back to that because especially now the, the Reds need us more than anything to be in full weight Absolutely and I'd hope that if it, the first 15 minutes doesn't go our way on, on Sunday the crowd needs to stay with the team because I think there's a danger of it sort of getting frustrated and, mm-hmm. and groany um, quite quickly um, so we got to be wary of that, and I think maybe because like, we maybe just need like there's been occasions where, and you know, I'm not you two go the game a lot more regularly than I do, so maybe I'm not the best person to say this, but it feels like it's been occasions in recent seasons where you know after a lay a lay a lay became really big, and the Firmino song and the Van Dyke song, you know, the crowd were really getting into those, but now that those are a couple of years old, it maybe feels like we need a new kind of song to really get everyone, you know, get get their blood pumping, but. That's just my kind of my kind of take on it. Um, I'll have to, you know, maybe write a few ideas down, test them out on Sunday, see if any of them gets any traction. Um, <laughs> but uh, but Dan, we'll come to you. Last of all, final thoughts. Yeah, um, echo 
everything Chloe said there, to be honest with you, certainly about some of the choice of chanting last night, um, just didn't really make a lot of sense, quite frankly. Um, groany is an appropriate word, Dave. Uh, that's how Anfield certainly can become if things don't go away. Um, and cacophony is an absolutely glorious word to end the podcast on. Just love all that. Um, but yeah, it feels like sometimes at Anfield we need a bit of adversity to really, you know, kickstart the crowd. Um, and that can't be the case anymore. So let's yeah. make it not. That that reminded me of Mikel Arteta and Klopp going exactly. on. Exactly. Yeah. And, and Leicester. Like that tour. Yeah. Leicester yeah, the other exactly. week, you know, we're trailing in the game and then all of a sudden, you know, we need to be like that from the outset, really, um, if yeah. possible. So, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, fingers crossed. The um, the fan, Both the fans and the team can deliver then. So... We're going to be back next week in the aftermath of the second leg for what will be our 50th episode. Um, in the meantime, if you could leave us a positive review on Spotify and Apple, that would be really appreciated. We're trying to get to the uh, the threshold for a five-star rating on Spotify. Um, so please help us out with that. But yeah, that's going to be all for this week. So fingers crossed for the weekend, fingers crossed for the second leg. And we'll see you after both of those games. Take care.